When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great, enjoying this great weather. Went out to practice today and uh, stood out there in the sun and watched all all the guys come back from their injuries, so it was it was kind of a great day. All right, uh, Doug Maurice joining us as well. Mary Kay and I are well rested after a bye week. Doug had to stay up late to watch Ohio State the other night, so I don't know how well rested Doug is, but Doug joins us as well. Yeah, I thought it was going to be more of a bye week for Ohio State than it was. Rutgers <laughs> got a little uh, got a little frisky in the second half, but yes. Greg Schiano magic. Um, all right, we're going to do some texter questions. We're bringing back uh, kind of texter Tuesday here since we had the bye week and didn't have a post-game show on Sunday. Uh, but the first thing, we're actually going to do a Twitter question here because uh, we did some Baker Mayfield report cards. Uh, me, Doug, Ellis, Scott Patsko, and somebody sent a tweet to you, Doug, that kind of got me intrigued because we had two different categories. We had leadership, uh, leadership slash intangibles, and then face of the franchise. And this person uh, responded to you. Can you help me understand what face of the franchise means? I've heard this term thrown around so much. It's so ambiguous that it doesn't mean anything to me at this point. Um, And, you know, I thought that was interesting because we've talked about that so much with the Browns as they've looked for quarterbacks, as they've looked for coaches and GMs, like, what is the what does the face of the franchise mean? I even joked at one point at one of our, our events with our texters that Mary Kay was the face of the franchise. <laughs> what does I, I guess when when we looked at that in that grading chart, and, and Doug, I'll let you go first because you did respond to him, and I'm, and you can kind of expand on that a little bit. What did that mean to you when you saw that on, on that grading sheet that we kind of decided on before we put these posts up? I thought the leadership category was leadership inward, like to the team, to teammates and face of the franchise to me is leadership outward out to the, to the fans, out to the world at large. And in the NFL, I think the entry point to your team is the quarterback. I mean, that's, everybody knows that. And so I think it's the idea of that's my guy. That's my team, right? That, that, that the way you love the quarterback makes you love the team even more. And I think, it's also one of those things. I don't even know that. I think most people do get it. That, that person on Twitter was like, I don't really understand it, but I think you really do. Like Bernie Kosar is the face of the franchise for the Browns. Like that was, we, you've seen it here. LeBron James is LeBron James, but he's also, when he's on your team, he's the face of the franchise. And this week, the Houston Texans are a mess. They fired their coach who was also the GM. They only have two wins this year, but you have no doubt about who the face of that franchise is. That is Deshaun Watson's team through good and through bad. And so level of play, I think, matters, but it's also something you project. Do do you get people on the outside to love you as a player? And does that love of the player increase even the love of the team? And I think Baker 
is kind of there, but not all the way there with that. But also it's hard to be the face of the franchise unless you're awesome. And he's <laughs> not always awesome. So it makes it a little harder. Mary Kay? You know, when I look at Baker this year, and I, I agree with Doug on that, I, I think that face of the franchi- franchise is your outward presentation to the community and to the NFL. And I think in the past, I think Baker drew a lot of undue heat uh, onto himself, onto the team. It carried over onto the football field. I mean, look what Nick Bosa did to him last year just because of his persona. That impacted the football game. There were, and, and I saw this with Johnny Manziel, too. And I know you guys are going to know what I'm talking about. Johnny brought a lot of undue heat on himself. People wanted to kick his little behind, you know? They really did because of the way he acted. And it just was not always team protecting to be like that. And I think if you look at Baker Mayfield this season, he has made a concerted effort not to be, you know, that kind of punky kid that he sort of was in the beginning. Now, a lot of people loved that about him, but they loved it when he was winning. They loved it in his rookie year. Uh, He could say anything and do anything because he was walking on water as a rookie, right? I mean, it didn't matter what words came out of his mouth because he was going to be the savior of this football team. But last year that all changed and people didn't want to hear it. They didn't want him getting into necessarily uh, these Twitter tips with Colin Cowherd and, and kind of just popping off. And so there was a concerted effort. I, I actually believe, and I don't know this to be true, but I believe that when Kevin Stefanski went down to Austin and had his one-on-one meeting with, with Baker Mayfield. I kind of think they talked about that. I I believe they probably talked about, Hey, you know what? You need to kind of like, let's not talk about it. Let's just do it. And I think other people in Baker's life uh, also uh, the the good influences that he have in his have has in his life. I think they said, you know, just kind of like tone it down a little bit. Let's focus on football. And you'll notice even this season when the world was against him after that Pittsburgh game, He bit his tongue for the most part. And he, all he said was, I don't give a damn what they say. He didn't get into it with any of the people, you know, that, you know, said that Jarvis and Odell should ask to be traded and all these other things. He buttoned it. He kept the batches, whatever. (laughs) He kept (laughs) it. Battened down the hatches. He, He battened down the hatches. Thank you. And he just kept his mouth shut, kept his nose to the grindstone, and he is trying to be a more mature face of the franchise. Well, and, and even more telling is after the Cincinnati game, there wasn't any sort of victory tour, not just from Baker, but from, from the team right. as a whole. Right. Um, and, and I think that that was a sign of maturity, and I think it sort of speaks to the Kevin Stefanski, uh, all, I always get this confused, I make sure I say it, all bite, no bark. I mean, that is a stark contrast to whether he would ever admit it or not to what last year was like for this whole franchise. So I gave, I looked it up. I gave him, I gave him a B on face of the franchise and a B on leadership and intangibles. And I think the driving force behind that was he sort of delivered the message. He's toned it down. He hasn't been, there's been little flashes here and there. And listen, these guys have personalities. They're allowed to show their personalities. And certainly as people who cover the team, personality is not bad. Uh, but you also do have to set the tone. And I think Baker has been on message going all the way back to a very quiet off season. And whenever he's talked to us, um, he's just been on Kevin Stefanski's message. And I think that's important. It's 
it's called an intangible for a reason though. So it is a little bit vague what face of the franchise might mean. And if you're LeBron James, yeah, you're going to be the face of the franchise. And Doug, I thought your Deshaun Watson point too was interesting because it was funny. I actually watched that Jaguars Texans game this morning. And one of the points the announcers made as Deshaun Watson came out in the huddle is you don't normally have a one in six team. And you look at the quarterback and say, Hey, you're set. And this is the guy. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that sort of speaks though to the power of what being the face of the franchise can mean and why it, it really does have to be your quarterback. And it's hard because obviously level of play is such a big part of it. Right. And as I noted in my thing, I think probably there's a lot of Browns fans when Baker comes out and throws a pick to Minka Fitzpatrick in the Pittsburgh game. And then you go to break and it's the Hulu has live sports Baker Mayfield commercial. And you're like, that is not what I want to see right now. Like that's part of it too, of like, Hey, you know, like Baker is Baker's a fun guy to root for, but man, it's it's, sometimes it's like, I don't, I don't want to see your face as the face of the franchise. I just want you to not get picked off. So that's obviously a huge part of it. All right, let's get to uh, some questions that came in uh, from our texters here. And there were a couple questions about the defensive scheme in Joe Woods, and we're going to take this one here from the 412 area code. Uh, This person says, I was wondering if there will be any pressure on Joe Woods as defensive coordinator for 2021. As far as I see, the defense has regressed under his his leadership. Granted, there are some injuries, but no more so than other teams. So uh, look, it's no surprise. Uh, the defense has not been good. Certainly fans are going to turn their attention to the defensive coordinator. Um, I think my grade on Joe Woods right now would be kind of a big fat incomplete, to be honest with you, because I just don't think we've seen what he can really do. I mean, there are certainly things that probably we could look at the scheme and say, maybe they should be doing this instead of this. But the reality is I just don't know that the talent is there yet to make a fair judgment on Joe Woods. Is that, is that giving him a pass or or do you guys kind of agree with that? I would agree with you on that. Uh, I I think when I look at at Joe Woods and the defense this season, uh, you know, I think the injuries had a lot to do with it. I think we've all uh, covered very thoroughly the fact that Grant Delpit, you know, Grant Delpit's injury uh, has been monumental this season. Same thing with Greedy Williams. I mean, Greedy was supposed to take a step up. I mean, and we don't know for sure if he would have been amazing this year because he had a long way to go. Uh, But still, uh, he was supposed to be one of your starting cornerbacks. So to lose two of your starting defensive backs at the outset, you know, that's a tough way to go. And then there's been so many other injuries. And then you've had, we've talked about this as well, Olivier Vernon has underachieved. Uh, that has had a ripple effect along the line because, uh, you know, that puts a little undue pressure on Miles. I mean, you really, you know, they, again, they thought about Yannick Nagakwe. They thought about Jadavian Clowney. Uh, they looked for other edge rushers. They knew they needed production from that side and they're not getting it. Uh, now he, he did come up with two sacks in the, in the past game, but for the most part, uh, I think they expected, I know they expected more from him. And that's, is that really Joe Wood's fault? No, I don't think so. So I, I think where Joe has done a nice job of uh, putting some spaghetti sauce over the, uh, over the ills is, is with the takeaways. I mean, you know, they keep emphasizing and I watch it in practice, you know, the takeaway drills, constant takeaway drills. And they've done a phenom- phenomenal job of that. If you can't stop the run and you can't stop the pass, you got to take the ball away. And they're doing that. So they've got miles and takeaways and Denzel for the most part. And he's doing a pretty good job with that. Andrew Barry knows what he gave Joe Woods. Andrew Barry doesn't think, Oh, Oh, 
Look at these linebackers. Oh, look at these safeties. He knows. They tried to patch it together with a bunch of kind of cheap veterans, and they, I don't know, they didn't, they didn't hit on many of them. So I don't, I don't think anybody on the, you know, any decision makers on the Browns are, are tricking themselves into what they did there. And to the Grant Delpit point, again, to make, as Mary Kay said, to make the same point for the 113th time, people are talking about Antoine Winfield in Tampa as a defensive rookie of the year candidate. He saved them last week when he stopped the two-point conversion from the Giants that would have tied that game at the end. He was picked one pick after Grant Delpit. So, listen, I'm not saying for sure that Grant Delpit would have been the defensive rookie of the year or in that mix, but that's what you're talking about. That's what they were shooting for, and that's how much difference, like, one guy can make. Now, of course, I don't, you know, I didn't watch the whole thing. Tampa got blown off the field by new orleans so yesterday so maybe maybe antoine winfield stunk in that game i don't know probably not but he's good but they know and i just think it's incremental so joe woods got the short listen everybody loves bill callahan right everybody loves bill callahan the offensive line coach think bill callahan's a genius bill callahan also got all the juice andrew barry had they're sitting down at lunch and Andrew Barry had a big thing of juice and he's going around the table and he's pouring it in people's cups and he poured it in Bill Callahan's cup. And then he got to Joe Woods and he said, Oh, I only have a little bit. I have a backwash left for you, Joe Woods. And Joe Woods is like, what are you talking about? When they get the new bottle of juice in this coming off season, Joe Woods is up. So it's easy to be a good coach when you got a good player, a lot of got a lot of good players and they don't have enough good players on the back seven of this defense. And I don't think that's about Joe Woods. And, and I think there have been little moments where maybe, you know, a game has gotten out of hand. Like, I, you know, I think back to that Pittsburgh game, which was such a disaster. But if you go back and watch that game early, the defense actually was kind of keeping the Browns in it for a little while. Now, it was ultimately going to break. They were bending and bending, and, and eventually Pittsburgh was going to break it and put up some points. But they were, they were kind of in that game for a little while. And, you know, there have been other games where maybe the final, again, eventually the defense just sort of broke, but you you can find these moments in games where the offense doesn't do its job and the defense gets the football back or something like that. Now the Raiders game obviously is fresh in all of our minds where they just couldn't get off the field and they're giving up third and 18 screens, but uh, there have been moments. And I'll tell you this, the one thing Joe Woods definitely has going for him is this thing isn't going to get toxic. You know, you're not going to have Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt just throwing him under the bus because things are just completely falling apart. It looks like there's a little bit of stability here right now. And and so, you know, it, it's he's going to have a chance with, with some better talent um, to do better next year. Okay, a question here about quarterback development. It's a long one. It's from the 614 area because I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, they're, they're pointing to Ben Roethlisberger's first few years in the league. Now, of course, Ben Roethlisberger won a championship, but we've seen quarterbacks who, you know, maybe haven't always lit it up. You know, Ben Roethlisberger in his third year had a 59.7 completion percentage and threw 23 interceptions in, in 2006. What they're asking is, are the court, are the years where we wait for quarterbacks over? Uh, and this is sort of framed in, in the, in the Baker Mayfield discussion. Are we just to a point now in the NFL and kind of how we watch it and how we cover it that players developing? And I kind of think Ben Roethlisberger is a bad example of this because they did win, you know, they did ultimately win a Super Bowl with him. Um, but have we gotten to the point now where we're just so impatient that we can't let guys develop? 
And, and I guess where are we with Baker on that timeline too? I'll throw that in. Well, when I look at this football team right now, I think it, it is built to win big within the next like couple of years. Uh, that, that's what it's all about. Uh, I actually really do believe that, that they wanted Jarvis and Odell to be part of that championship sort of vibe that they hoped was, was going to be happening over the next couple of years. So I think they're built to win, uh, you know, maybe even next year was the year where they thought, you know what, if we bolster the defense, like we bolstered the offense this past year, it's time to go. It's go time. Uh, so I, I do think that there is a little bit of a sense of urgency or uh, an importance on making sure that the quarterback can get them where they need to go. They don't have a whole lot of time to wonder if he's going to be great. And we've gone over this many, many, many times. Does he need to be great or does he not need to be great? Uh, I kind of think that in the AFC North, the bar is set very high because of what's going on in this division. I think he has to be great. I think he has to be great because if you look around, you see great. And, and I, I just think that that is the standard that, that is set here. So he's just got to come up. He's just got to get there and he's got to kind of get there in a hurry because they are built to win now, not, not this year necessarily, but next year and the year after. And all before, because before you know it, guys are going to start to get up into out of the primes of their career. Right now they've got the core right there. It's all right there in front of them for the most part. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that they're in a situation where they can hope that he comes along in three years. It's just, that's just not where they're at. So Baker was good as a rookie. And I think our perceptions get thrown off by things. I think maybe, how do I say this? Joe Burrow looks really good right now, right? Justin Herbert looks really good right now. Tua beat Kyler Murray on Sunday. Tua Tonga-Vailoa looked really good. Everybody is really in on the rookie quarterbacks right now. But that's kind of what Baker looked like when he was a rookie. And then you get to year two and maybe some stuff happens and the league catches up to you a little bit. I like, I sort of disagree. I, I do think you like, they still let guys develop. Sometimes if you just miss, you miss like, like the Arizona knew we're not going to wait for Josh Rosen. They gave him a year and that was it. And they had the first pick and they took Kyler. But most of the time, these teams are hanging in. Listen, Jared Goff, and I wrote about it this week, and I'm, by the way, I'm, I am, what is, what do you call it when you're negatively addicted to something? Because <laughs> I have a headline. I had like a headline on the site that had the word Josh Allen and struggles in the headline <laughs> on the day that Josh Allen threw for three touchdowns and 415 yards. And I'm sure people on like Buffalo radio stations are like, this guy over in Cleveland thinks that Josh. And the whole point is that, a lot of quarterbacks, even good quarterbacks, really, they're inconsistent. And I think sometimes you get wrapped up in your own guy. And when you only watch your guy, you think everybody else is awesome all the time. Like Russell Wilson wasn't that great. I mean, Russell Wilson's like the MVP this year. He got beat. He didn't play as well as Josh Allen, right? So I, I just think for the most part, teams do let guys develop. I mean, they really do. I mean, it's year three of Baker. It's not like, the, you know, he's going to get year four. It's not like they're pulling – I mean, teams don't pull the plug in here. Washington pulled the plug on Dwayne Haskins because they were like, not, not it. New regime, they were like, not it. But most of the time, you're giving these guys three, four years. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you can't, as Mary Kay said, it's like, well, you can't be like in year eight 
and be like, well, we're just waiting for Baker Mayfield to develop. We really think when he hits his mid thirties, he's going to hit his stride. I mean, at some point you got to call it, but if the premise of the question is teams don't let quarterbacks develop, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think we see it because I do the young quarterback rankings every week. I, I just think, it's hard to be great all the time and that most teams end up hanging in with guys who have flashes of it and you live with the downs while you search for the ups. And that's very, very normal. And, you know, let's be honest. I know there's extenuating circumstances. It's not just as simple, but Baker has started 37 games. So, you know, and by the end of this season, assuming he stays healthy, there's going to be, it's going to be up to 45 and I, again, I know he's had different coordinators. I know he's had different coaches. I know last year was a mess. But, you know, whatever the Browns decide, and I don't think they're going to move on from Baker after this year. But, you know, if they did for some reason, it's not like we can sit here and say, well, he, he never got a chance. He's going to have over 40 starts by the time we get to the end of this season. So we're going to have a decent idea of who he is. Part of it is circumstance, too. You know, the Jets are going to have a chance to move on from Sam Darnold because they're probably going to have a chance to draft Trevor Lawrence. If they were picking 10th, you know, maybe they're going to decide, hey, we're going we're gonna to roll with Sam Darnold again, just because, you know, maybe the replacement isn't out there. Uh, Josh, the Josh Rosen, Kyler Murray thing, right? You hire, the, you hire Cliff Kingsbury, you have the number one pick, you actually have a chance to move on from Josh Rosen because you realize you made a mistake. You know, the Browns aren't going to be afforded that. So I, I think, you know, Baker's going to get a chance to continue to develop and, and continue to show what he can do. I, I don't know that we're going to get a firm answer to this question. Um, by this offseason. And then I think he's going to continue to get that opportunity. Um, some questions about, because Doug, I know you love talking about the linebackers and specific linebackers. <laughs> some questions. There were some questions about Jacob Phillips. And this is an interesting guy. You know, we know the Browns need linebacker help. It seems like when he's out there, and I'll look up his PFF grades but while you guys talk about him here a little bit, but it seems like when he's out there, he's getting he's around the ball a little bit, right? And this is a guy that had a bunch of tackles at LSU. Um, they, they drafted him in the third round, which is a pretty good pick. You, you never know what a third rounder is going to become, but a day two pick is still a day two pick. Um, is Jacob Phillips a guy that, that can, I don't want to say turn around this linebacker core, but he can, can he at least make it passable or at least as passable as it's going to get? You know, I think he's, I think he's going to help, I, you know, he hasn't played very much. So we haven't really seen uh, too much of what he can do. He showed some promise. It looked like uh, he was a good third round pick, uh, but I just don't feel like we have enough of a body of work yet to say, Oh, geez, Jacob's back. So, you know, this is going to be a huge significant upgrade in the second half of the season. I think he will help. I think he will contribute. I think Ronnie Harrison will uh, be more of a difference maker in the second half than Jacob will, but I think he'll be a good piece. I think he'll be a good part of the linebacker rotation. And I think Mac Wilson coming back stronger in the second half from his hyperextended knee, I, I think that will be better. So just in general, I think uh, there's reason for hope on the defense, but I can't honestly say that, oh my gosh, Jacob's back. So all is going to be well. <laughs> It feels like they just have a couple linebackers who do one thing well or one thing okay and then one thing not great, right? That Malcolm Smith's more of a coverage guy or Sione Takitaki is maybe better against the run. B.J. Goodson is not terribly athletic, but I just don't think he's going to come off the field. They just have him in there as like a veteran guy. But we end up, I mean, I feel like all of us here, fans, the franchise, 
you you do end up putting a lot on Mac Wilson pretty quickly. This guy's a second year, fifth round pick who's been hurt. And you kind of wind up in a spot. And I'm not disagreeing with what Mary Kay said. It's where they are. You're kind of like, well, wait till Mac Wilson does something. And it's like, are we, are you sure? I think to whatever degree you're counting on Mac Wilson, you could at least expect that much from Jacob Phillips. Now he's a rookie. I get it. But he's been around. He's been paying attention. He's been on the Zooms or whatever. You know, He's hurt. He hasn't been able to play a lot. But the expectation from him, listen, he's not Grant Delpit. He only got picked one round behind Grant Delpit. So uh, I think it is reasonable that in the second half of a rookie year, if you're healthy, that he really could help. And that they're, I think they're still going to move guys around. I don't think they're going to settle on like just the three linebackers who play every snap, but I don't think it's a stretch at all to say it's very possible by week 10, 11, 12, he is playing quite a lot of snaps and quite an important role for these linebackers. And, you know, again, the development question, you kind of want to have an idea of who Jacob Phillips is by the end of this season. Uh, his PFF grades here. Uh, you mentioned Doug, that these guys all sort of do one thing. Well, he's a very good tackler, as we all knew, knew because he had a ton of those at, at LSU, but he's grading at a 78.3 uh, as a tackler this year. Everything else kind of, you know, nothing really stands out, but he also hasn't played uh, a ton either. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of what he can do out there uh, and, and what he brings to this defense. But listen, next right. time a team is trying to put together a nine-minute drive the way the Raiders did the other day, make a, maybe, Jacob Hillop, maybe Jacob Phillips can help you with that. Yeah, well, I mean, I mentioned that third and 18 screen. It would, be, would have been nice if somebody could have made a tackle there. Uh, all right. Hey, playoff questions, because the Browns are in the playoff hunt. Now, they dropped out of the playoff picture on their off day. Uh, but the reality is right now it's about a four-team race for those last two spots. Um, this from the 253 area code. With the AFC wildcard race starting to heat up, what do you think the Browns' chances are percentage-wise of getting in, and do you think it will take 10 wins? So I guess we're putting on our 538 hat. Do they still do sports, or are they just politics now? I don't know. But we're putting on our 538 hat, and we're going to come up with uh, percentages for the Browns making the playoffs, or at least the chance. But I guess the question here is, I mean, is this just essentially a race to 10 wins? And, and whoever gets to 10 wins, they're, they're going to be the team in the playoffs. Well, well, that would help for, sh- for sure. That would help. But uh, one of the things to consider uh, is that tomorrow uh, the NFL is presenting a proposal to the NFLPA for approval of, a, of plan B uh, with a playoff scenario in the event that they uh, have to, you know, switch gears up a little bit because of COVID that, that they might go to eight teams in each conference making the playoffs. So that is a possibility uh, that, that we all have to kind of be aware of. And I'm trying right now to pull up the AFC, but the picture changed, obviously, over the weekend. Well, I, and- I, I've, I've actually got it up right now. If you're uh, okay. So there are four, there's four teams at five and three. And the two in right now are Las Vegas and Miami. And then the other wild card would be Baltimore at six and two. Okay, right. So, uh, you know, so, so things changed over the weekend. Miami's coming uh, you know, with Tua is kind of coming on strong. And the Browns, uh, fortunately for their sake, have some very, very winnable games coming up. I mean, obviously they are, they're playing a lot of teams, the Jets, the Giants, even the Texans. Now they, don't, they have two wins. I don't think they're gonna be necessarily a pushover. Uh, the Eagles, the Jaguars, they've got a lot of winnable games. They only have a couple games that you really think, 
Mm. Don't know if they can win that. Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and the Titans will be tough. Other than that, I think we can all agree uh, that the path to 10 victories is it's doable. They, they can act, they can pull this off. Um, even if they do that, that might not be enough. I mean, I've lived through a 10 and six season where they didn't go to the playoffs. So it's not a given, but, um, but the race is tightening a little bit and every, every game from here on out is, is going to matter a lot. They didn't get the help they needed this weekend. The chargers threw a game winning touchdown pass to beat the Raiders and then it got overruled on review. That didn't help. The Cardinals had a 49-yard game-tying field goal from our old friend Zane Gonzalez that was short. Who has ever seen a 49-yard field goal come up short? That was not good. That Miami won. The Football Outsiders playoff index, the Browns only lost a couple percentage points in their chances of getting in. They have the Browns at around at 40% chance of making the playoffs, but that is behind on their rating Miami, Vegas, and Indy. That's behind all three of those teams. So I wrote it this morning on Monday morning, like they have to beat the Texans and they have to beat the Eagles. Like, that's it. Like we're at your, your, you know, I said, I've been giving them excuses for, well, you lost this. Well, you lost that five and three is a good first half. They got to win. Now you got to win. I think you got to get the 10 wins nine and seven's not getting in. And I'd give them a 70% chance to make it because I think they has Mary Kay said they had these games out in front of them. But the one thing they lost with the Raiders loss before the bye was that was the end of wiggle room. No more goofy like, oh, well, it was windy like that. You had your one and it's fine. Sometimes you lose, which is what I said, but that's over. That's over. You've got to win. And you have the two iffiest games up next because you have three really good teams, three awful teams. And even though Houston's 10 and six or two and six, Houston's a better two win team than the Daniel Jones and the giants are a two win team. I'm more scared of Deshaun Watson than I am. Daniel Jones. You got to win. They got to beat Houston. They got to beat Philly. If they do, they are absolutely on the path to 10 wins and they're in. Yeah. I mean, the problem with a game like Houston is you sort of end up, it could look like that Cincinnati game from a couple of weeks ago where, you know, the Browns managed to win Baker Mayfield made the plays late, but that's also one of those coin flip games where, you know, if Joe Burrow maybe has, 30 seconds instead of 11 seconds. Maybe that game turns out a little differently and you take the win any way you can get it. Cause there's coin flip games every single week in the NFL, like that chargers Raiders game. Uh, Miami's schedule is really interesting too, by the way, I was actually, that, that's one that I was, I was looking up and they have a pretty clear path uh, to 10 wins as well. They do still have to play the chiefs, uh, but really, I mean, they've got the all, all these, it seems like all these teams have to play the Broncos. So who knows, maybe the Broncos are three and five will, not only muck up the playoff picture, but somehow win their way into the playoff picture. Uh, but they've got like the Jets, the Bengals, uh, the Patriots, and they've got a matchup with the Raiders on December 27th. So, you know, they've got a, a decent path to 10 uh, as well. So it, look, it's going to be fun. That's what the, the playoff chase uh, is all about here. And, and Browns fans actually get to experience it. All right. We're going to do one more question here. This comes from the, uh, 301 area code and it's about uh, our buddy Donovan Peoples-Jones of course he had that big catch against Cincinnati um, didn't really play a whole lot uh, against Las Vegas uh, but this person says it seems as though Donovan Peoples-Jones is the Rodney Dangerfield of the Browns he gets no respect why doesn't he get a legitimate chance of being the number one wideout for the Browns he brings speed and athleticism that others do not possess I think his ceiling is much higher than the other receivers 
Number one might be a little lofty for uh, for Donovan Peoples-Jones, but, you know, I guess to, to make this a little bigger picture, are they going to need more out of him to be able to get to that 10-win plateau? Or, you know, maybe beat a Tennessee or, or beat a Pittsburgh or a Baltimore, you know, pull one of those upsets. Are they going to need more out of Donovan Peoples-Jones or can they get by with like Landry and Hodge and Higgins and, and whoever else? I, I think it's going to be uh, receiver by committee. I think it'll, I think it, as we've talked about before, it will take a village to replace the things that Odell Beckham Jr. can do. And they'll try to find, uh, you know, who can run a reverse, uh, Kaderil, you know, who can, you know, bring some speed, take the top off of a defense. Donovan can take the top off of a defense to an extent. Um, I think he's come up the learning curve, maybe even a little quicker than they thought he would. Uh, I don't necessarily think just like we talked about with Jacob that it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, Donovan people's Jones can be the difference in the second half of the season, but I think he can be a part of it. And I think he can be, you know, a significant part of it, but I think it will be a combination of him, Kaderil, Taewon Taylor, let's not forget about him and Rashard Higgins all being role players to get this thing pulled off. My answer is no to everything the texter asks, the, the texter asked about Donovan Peoples-Jones. I, I don't know what that texter is watching. That feels like something that like, I wrote that the day he was drafted as like a sixth round pick. What, do you, what's, what is the evidence of that, of the thing? I mean, other than, the, you know, he caught the game winning pass. Snaps against the Raiders, Jarvis Landry 38, Rashard Higgins 35, Kaderil Hodge 34, Donovan Peoples-Jones, four. Taewon Taylor, three. So, no. <laughs> no. They, he's not going to do anything, and they don't need him to do anything. And maybe he'll get better in the offseason. But every other answer is no. I, I think what we've learned in this podcast is, guys, help's not coming. You know, maybe, maybe they put in a claim on, on Tack McKinley. I don't know, but... You know, they decided to stand pat at the trade deadline. Uh, you know, we went round and round about that last week. You know, help's not really going to come. They're either going to get healthy or they're not. And that, that this is sort of the team you have to try and get to 10. But, I, but they are getting healthy. Right, Nick, exactly. Nick Chubb is the help. And listen, here's the thing, too. I just don't want people listening to this to be like, oh, Miami has Tua. He's played two games. Oh, Miami has Emmanuel Ogba. He got a sack. Oh my God, we can't beat the Dolphins. Oh my gosh, the Raiders have Josh Jacobs. What are we going to do? This team has Miles Garrett. This team has Nick Chubb. This team has Austin Hooper. This team has Jarvis Landry. This team has Denzel Ward. Please don't forget anyone listening that the Browns are good and that Nick Chubb hasn't been here and Wyatt Teller hasn't been playing and everything else. Listen, man, I'll tell you this. If Miami, if you're competing against Miami or Indianapolis for a playoff spot and you were a Browns fan and they were like, hey, did you hear those guys are getting Nick Chubb back? And they were like, Miami's getting Nick Chubb back. You'd be freaking out. You'd be like, well, that's it. The Colts got Nick Chubb back. They're running the table. But that's you. That's you. You get Nick Chubb. So the help is here. I think that loss was huge. The Wyatt Teller loss was huge. I think we have not scratched the surface of what Austin Hooper might do in this offense. So listen, man, I'm just telling you, DPJ, let's not be <laughs> flailing around for four snaps from Donovan Peoples-Jones. The answer is the $50 million a year tight end they signed in the offseason who hasn't really done anything yet. That's the answer. And it's here. 
Well, I, I agree that they've got a lot of reinforcements coming back uh, a, a ton. I mean, really, I, I went out to practice today and I looked out there and I even said this to Kevin Stefanski today. It was like, whoa, except for Odell Beckham Jr. That's pretty much your whole football team out there. Of course, not Grant Delpit, but except for those two guys, I mean, pretty much every, almost everybody is back and that's huge going into the final stretch. Now they need, and I, I firmly believe this, now they need uh, Baker to pick up his level of play uh, because when they had a full complement of people or a very good amount of their offense together in the beginning, he was still coming up the learning curve in this new scheme. Now I think he's got his sea legs and I think they know how to call the game for him better. And I think they've thrown some pages out of the playbook. Uh, they know that he needs to be in the gun in certain situations. They know that he needs to roll out. They know that he can't always, always see the field as well as he needs to see it when he's under center, but he has to play under center sometimes to make the run game go the way they want it to. Um, but I think some of it's going to come down to him. He, he's got to be the one that knits the whole thing together now. Yeah, listen, it's, if you're going to get hit with a bunch of injuries, have it happen in October and start getting guys back now in November. Because like, once you get past Thanksgiving, that's when the race is on. It's a sprint to the finish line. Whether it's seven teams or eight teams or who knows, by then they'll be putting 32 teams in a bubble, hopefully in Hawaii. And uh, <laughs> it'll just be a round robin for the Super Bowl. Uh, yep. But yeah, they're, they're getting healthy at the right time. You say hopefully Hawaii, like you would get sent to Hawaii, Dan. Listen, if they go to crossed. Hawaii, fingers crossed, <laughs> there will be one Browns reporter from the whole state <laughs> of Ohio who is in Hawaii with the Cleveland Browns, and it will be Hula Mary Kay Cabot, and that will be it. <laughs> and we will be waving to her on Zoom from cold, cold Ohio. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Thanks to everybody that sent in questions. Uh, thanks to Doug and Mary Kay. Of course, Make sure you're signed up for Football Insider, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page, and also subscribe to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast because I know Gotta Watch the Tape is coming back this week after you took uh, Friday off. We'll have our picks. I don't want to talk about the picks right now. I, I, I will have no comment on the picks at this time. Um, but we'll have that coming on Friday. Can we stop that podcast? It's not fun anymore. No, it's not fun. We're so I was bad. Having, I was having fun, and then this week happened. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody.